Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with my friends, Dr. Tad Kasanovich and Bob Biddle, who are on State Government Relations Committee with me. And we, we sort of had a post-mortem about the profession's reaction to COVID-19, specifically as it was related to some of the different guidelines and regulations that came out and some of the squishy terms that were being used by regulator, regulatory bodies like the CDC. Uh, and so we had a great conversation about how that is gonna, how that impacted practices uh, at the time, but also what we can do as a profession to sort of springboard so that those reactions don't occur in the future. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. As always, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review, and support those who support us. I love companies who do good for our patients and allow us to take the credit. I'm not sure if you saw this yet, but Cooper Vision recently announced their Essential Healthcare Worker Program which was designed to make eye care providers the heroes in support of their essential healthcare workers. If you have patients in these roles, it's available to them if you want to present them with this offer. So what happens? How does it work? Well, essential hospital workers are eligible to receive one complimentary box of Cooper Vision contact lenses for each eye. This includes all one day, two week, and monthly brands of Cooper Vision manufacturers. And the patient has to have a current Cooper Vision contact lens prescription to be eligible. If you choose to participate in this process for your patients, the links will be in the show notes. what I have come to call now non-urgent care. Uh, we have decided that in our office, we are no longer going to refer to that kind of care as routine. Yeah, I, I've been calling it comprehensive care. Have you, can you hear me okay? Sure. So I've been calling it more comprehensive care as opposed to urgent or emergent, but you know, that's, it's just, I, I don't know what the right terminology is, and I, and I, but I certainly know that, you know, when all this happened, I, you know, um, I, I, it's hard because you can't go back and say, well, I was right. I was right because I, I, I didn't know what was going on, but I, I did have this sense that like, first of all, the, you know, the, the CDC has no idea what, what they mean when they say routine eye care. So we're assuming that the CDC has an idea of what routine eye care is. And it's not just an insurance term that we've adopted as a profession to understand the difference in in who's paying a bill as opposed to what a patient is coming in for and what needs they might have. And so, um, you know, the reason that that uh, I wanted both of you on today was because I think you have really great perspectives about this and um, and not not necessarily because we agree, although I think we largely do agree on it. Um, you know, in the post-mortem of our reaction as a profession to what the CDC had had kind of laid out and then the sort of um, the sort of collective group think that we saw within that as a profession. You know, I saw people on ODs on Facebook reaching out saying they were gonna they were going to uh, contact state boards if they found out people were providing routine care, whatever that means. That seems crazy to me. What do you think? I would I would have to agree with you. Um, we had the entire spectrum from I'm remaining open and doing everything to optometric offices that were closing down completely. And yes, we're wanted to shut their or turn their brethren or sister and optometric colleagues in um, to the state board. 
um, the perspective that our state association took was one of not only did the CDC, the Homeland of Security, um, and the governor of the state deem us essential health care providers, um, we became an integral part of the overall health care system. And just because we have a global pandemic doesn't necessarily mean that care needs to stop. Whether it's acute care or chronic care, we still have patients that we need to take care of. And um, so there's a lot of offices around our state that, that took that perspective and continued to provide care. Bob, you guys were a little different in, in Pennsylvania. You, you know, besides Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, you're a largely rural state. And so, um, so that means that, you know, what's interesting about this, this disease from what I can ascertain is that it, um, it impacts people, it impacts communities differently. So treating, you know, rural um, Pennsylvania like Philadelphia might not be the right answer. So, you know, what do you think about that? And, and then again, to, to Ted's point, um, you know, how do you, you know, how do you respond to this, th these types of things as, a, as an independent practitioner and as a practitioner trying to do the best thing for their patients? Yeah, these are all good points. I think the first thing that I noticed um, practicing during this COVID-19 pandemic, um, I like to refer to it as an epidemic because I still think the definition of pandemic is multiple countries, although it can be multiple areas of, of one place. But nevertheless, I found in Pennsylvania, and I think I'm going to say that I found across the country after speaking with colleagues, that for many, many years in the legislative arenas, we were sort of pigeonholed by uh, <clears throat> other professions who want us to be the routine eye care profession. But we found out that when we were in the um, pandemic, that we were not the routine care uh, profession. We were the urgent and the emergent care profession. And so I, I had sent you previously, there's a group, um, Commonwealth Insurance Group, who did a survey stating that in Pennsylvania, 79% uh, ophthalmology practices were non-practicing during uh, this COVID-19. Well, that proves to me one thing, that if there's going to be access to primary care, it, it has to be through the optometric offices because these patients in Pennsylvania were taken care of, and it was largely optometrists who saw these patients. So the whole idea of a routine visit and other entities being able to label a visit as routine, it's troublesome because we cannot allow uh, an insurance plan or the payment method to dictate the examination when we all know that seeing a patient, even with a vision plan, uh, that patient can have a very serious eye problem that we find during a routine vision exam. Uh, blurry vision can, can turn into uh, macular edema, uh, cystoid, it can be a hemorrhage, it can be uh, just a num any number of pathologies. And we can't determine whether our examination of a patient was routine until we've completed the examination. You can't say an examination is routine before you do it. And so uh, I think it behooves our 
profession to begin to come to terms with that and identify the different types of exams. And I think that exam should be based on chief complaint rather than any other uh, entity. And I think, Chris, you, you, you said it, it, and it's not important whether we call it comprehensive or urgent or elective, uh, but we need to find a way to make it non-routine because most of what they are calling routine exams turn into an examination that we find something that needs to be treated. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. And I think, you know, it comes down to the, you know, I think there's a bigger, uh, a bigger picture to the profession when we get beyond thinking about things as routine. You know, I think there is a large component of our profession who, you know, while they, they do serve, um, serve visual needs of patients, um, I think they can even get caught up in the terms routine where they, they know that they're, they're, having the ability to detect all these other problems and, and triage them if they don't want to take care of themselves. You know, we'll talk about, you know, glaucoma, macular degeneration, dry eye, you know, and they, they can, they can kind of see who needs to have more acute care um, or more chronic care if, if they don't, if they choose not to provide them, but they, they themselves a lot of times are getting wrapped up in this. They've already labeled themselves as like, well, what I do is largely most of my practice is selling glasses and contact lenses and that that's just routine. And so that's what I can't do. And anybody that's going to do anything else that I think is routine, they can't do it either. And um, we've allowed this kind of squishiness of terms to really, I think this has really uncovered a, a large problem we have within our profession is to say, what is, again, what is routine care? Is Bob routine care, a patient that has blurry vision that comes in during a COVID crisis that wants to come into your practice and during a COVID crisis wants to come in and physically see you knowing and fully understanding that there are, there are potential problems that could arise, that, that, that they could potentially transmit an infection or potentially become infected. I mean, people aren't, aren't dumb in all of this. You know, people largely, what I found in our practice was you know, if they thought it was important enough to reach out to, to contact us for, that was important enough for them, right? That was urgent enough that during all of this, people, they, they, they wanted to come in. And, and when we asked them, a, you know, a few questions about that history and, um, and we couldn't triage that uh, appropriately why their blur was occurring, I'm just using blur as an example. Blur is the perfect example, though, because... Yeah, yeah, it is. That it, just as an eye doctor, the answer, the simple answer to your first question is, no, that's not routine. Who can determine without doing the examination what's causing the blur? We've all seen the patient who said, well, I have blurry vision. Well, my right eye is blurry. And then you go in there and you take a look and, and they have undiagnosed diabetes, they've got clinically significant macular edema, they haven't had an eye exam for three years, and uh, or, they, or they have something else going on in that eye, and it has nothing to do with the eyeglasses or the contact. And, and Bob, even if it did, and, and Ted, I'll bring you in here too, but even if it did have a, a difference in, let's say that, that they are a truck driver, right, delivering uh, food and products across the country who are essential workers as well, and they need to be able to continue to deliver that, right? Who's to say that that blur that is ultimately potentially refractive um, isn't an urgent or emergent situation for that particular person? Agreed. 
the, the people that determine that wind up, I think, that ultimately should be the patient and the doctor. Exactly. Right? And, and we, we really got away from that here. Yeah, I agree 100%, Chris. Um, if, uh, if the patient's driver's license is about to expire uh, next week, they don't want to wait a month or two. If they're the only driver in the household and they have to get patient, uh, their family members from point A to point B and their driver's license is going to expire, or broken eyewear or lost contact lenses, if, if they can't drive to get to their job, they can't create an income. So you have an income, uh, uh, an economic impact, if you will, from this vision event. So what somebody else might determine routine is not routine to that individual at that point in time. That becomes an urgent patient event. Um, I think the problem that we've had for far too long is we've had either third-party payers or other professionals trying to define what optometry is. And you use the perfect term of pigeonholing us into one particular uh, uh, lane, if you will. The real thing is if, if there's a good thing that can come out of a global pandemic, it's allowing optometrists to realize that they are physicians first and eyewear providers second. So the, when an optometrist can embrace their role as a physician, whether it's acute care, whether it's chronic care, we need to step in and grab that label and, and that mantle and move forward with that. That's, that's our true calling. And that's what we have to provide. Our value to society, our value to third-party payers is going to come through us acting as physicians and taking care of the whole patient and not just an eyewear issue. Yeah, absolutely. What, what, when you think about, um, and, and this, I'll open this up to, to Bob or, or to you, Ted, what, um, when you think about kind of moving forward now that, that things have loosened up and you are providing more comprehensive care, um, you know, one of the things I think is I still see some people that are kind of questioning when they can do this, like when, when will they be allowed to do it? And, and I think to kind of clearly delineate from what I can gather, um, Bob, uh, you had a very good definition and I think Tad, you said this as well of, of what essential services are and people really are getting these terms. In my opinion, they're getting them confused. There, there's a difference between an essential service and, and nobody's really saying that services are essential. It's essential workers. So workers are essential. So in my mind, the first question to ask is, is optometry an essential working group? And I think clearly, as, as Tad, you pointed out, uh, we are, as defined by multiple entities. So then the question is, what is going to limit when people are still consider, concerned about um, coming back to provide more comprehensive care to their patients? What would be the prohibition then if you are an essential worker from doing that? What other prohibitions might you have? Well, the AOA has already uh, confirmed that the CDC has lifted those prohibitions on postponing routine eye care services. So that's gone. What else are you guys seeing as, as actually official or potential official roadblocks to 
returning back to providing more more comprehensive eye care services. Like, why wouldn't somebody be able to do that right now? Is it just their perspective? Or do you actually think there are local regulations that would prohibit it? Have you seen any of those? Have you heard about any of those? In, in our state, um, and this mirrors a little bit where Bob might be in Pennsylvania, you know, we have strong uh, metropolitan, high-density areas that are still hotbeds for uh, COVID infections. The curve's not flattening. Um, there are problems in those areas. Uh, the other side is the rural areas that don't have that. Our governor has deemed certain counties of the state at phase zero in terms of reopening, if we can use that term, whereas the rest of the counties are allowed at this phase one, and there's talk coming out of uh, the state capitol and the governor's office that will be moving on to phase two quickly. So I think one side of it is the regulatory side of it. The other side might be the individual optometric physician's comfort level or their staff. Um, how prepared are they with DPE? Do they have enough masks? Are they using isopropyl alcohol? What are their other um, in-house uh, disinfecting policies? Has the doctor written policies? Have they had the staff meetings to identify and, and make not only the staff know, but patients know that this is a safe environment for people to come into. And, and I think once, uh, once you embrace that and you give the staff the directions and it's clearly marked at the front door, if you have a red eye, if you have a fever, don't come into the office, call the office. We're going to triage you over the phone first. So I think once individual optometric offices make those types of policies in place that ensure safety, then I think they'll be more comfortable moving forward with not just emergent care or urgent care, but getting on with optometric care of all levels. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you, Tad. I think, um, I think part of it is, uh, I think part of it is this unknown of what they can do. I think it, I think there's two things and I think you hit on both of them. The first one is, do they feel safe? Do they feel they can do it in a safe way to protect their patients and their staff and themselves? And it's probably in that order, right? In, in terms of most of our, our thought processes in doing that. Um, and so some of them just don't. And I, I don't blame, again, I think it comes back to the individual physician, right? If they don't feel like they can do it in a safe way, um, then then that, I, I, I think that's okay. Um, but I think there's this other level where people have just not fully they bought into the idea of, of optometric medical and comprehensive services being essential, right? And it's not because the services are essential, it's because the provider of those services are essential. Uh, and, and I think that message was really not very clear in this. And so I guess my, my point in saying that is that um, very few that I've looked at, at least in Nebraska, um, even in, in different hotbeds, very few of the prohibitions are actually prohibitions on healthcare providers. So like when you look at like local ordinances in all the state uh, health departments around the state, they all have different ordinances. But every single one I've looked at so far has basically only prohibited the, 
doing business that applies to 10 or more people. Like the entire ordinance will be written and then it specifically excludes medical, uh, medical offices from that ordinance. And so, so I guess I haven't seen one yet. And Bob, I'm not sure what you've seen in, in Pennsylvania, but I haven't seen one yet that would say, you know, even medical offices can't have more than 10 people and can't, um, and can't do business. And I, mean, I, have, I just haven't seen it. So outside of the CDC, which has been lifted, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around, like, there, I haven't seen any other specific things that say optometrists, you can't do business even as usual, like business as usual right now. And when I say business as usual, I'm assuming that people are protecting themselves and protecting their patients and, and all those sorts of things. What we've done is, uh, you know, we've, we've sort of been sensitized to that. And so we, uh, starting on the 18th, we're going to see two patients an hour um, in both of the offices uh, that we have. And two patients an hour for us is about uh, 40% of what we normally do. And we're going to do that probably till the end of June, till we see uh, what, what happens. And to see how things change, whether or not there's an increase in the number of cases or if there is still uh, a decrease in the number of cases. But I think that optometry as a profession really needs to pay attention to what's happened during this COVID-19 crisis. This has been a, a, a profession-changing period in the history of optometry because whether optometrists wanted to be on the front lines or not, we found ourselves there. When I had alluded to ophthalmology before, in Pennsylvania, and I'm certain in the rest of the country, mostly what ophthalmologists do uh, is surgery. And most of the surgery, if not a good portion of that surgery, is elective. So when optometry was designated an essential and life-sustaining profession, uh, it really put us in the forefront of urgent and emergent care. And as a profession, we had better be ready to embrace that because to be included as an essential provider, governments saw the value in optometry. And so our doctors were out there on the front lines doing this work. Where, where the State Government Relations Committee came to my mind with this is that, you know, we've been, we've been saying to our legislators for decades that optometrists are the access portal to primary care. We are the access to eye care in most of the states at a much higher uh, majority than any of our uh, other colleagues. And as a result, we were recognized for this by being designated essential. And this is something we had better embrace and we had better uh, begin to define um, what our examinations, what, what examinations constitute routine versus um, urgent and non-urgent. Uh, again, in my office, we're not going to use the term routine anymore because I think it paints us into a corner that is very difficult for the entire profession to, to get out of. Bob, what do you think then? Um, so I know that you haven't hammered out the terms yet, but in your mind, kind of how would you delineate the level of importance of the type of care that a patient would, would come in with as we move beyond this? And then how would you kind of um, determine whether or not that patient was in a specific category. So let's say that we're beyond this, it happens again, um, six months later, things get quote unquote shut down and, um, and the CDC comes out again and says routine care is suspended. 
how, how does Bob Biddle then say, look, I'm not providing routine care and not, not in a sleight of hand way, not right. in a way no. to circumvent, you know, but, but how do you do it in a way that can serve your patients and triage those patients to say this patient can be served via telehealth, this patient can serve, but this patient needs to be sent, you know, into our office. Your sleight of hand comment is extremely important, Chris, because and I think Tad would agree with this. If, if anybody thinks that designating a visit as urgent as compared to non-urgent or routine is attempting to, to uh, incorporate sleight of hand, they've missed the point completely. The, the profession needs to stand up and be recognized as the essential life-sustaining profession uh, that we are and understand that we have responsibilities to our patients, not to our bottom line. And so I would delineate it. And we had a meeting with our, our intake people, the people who uh, schedule on the phone. And I want a chief complaint. If my staff can't get a chief complaint on the phone, even blur, which because I agree with you, I've had a truck driver with minus seven who needed eyeglasses over this period. And uh, we have a legislator in Pennsylvania who deemed that essential care. Uh, it was actually someone who was sent into one of our offices here in Pennsylvania, not my office but someone else's office with uh, broken eyeglasses who was a minus seven. And there was a little a child that also had the same problem. So if my staff can't elicit a chief complaint, then I would call that non-urgent care. If my staff can elicit a chief complaint, um, then I would call that necessary or urgent care. But I certainly wouldn't call it routine. Interesting. And so then, then the other, the other side of that would be those patients that are coming back for um, maybe, maybe routine is not the right term, but let's say glaucoma care or macular degeneration care or, um, or ocular surface disease care. Um, you know, those patients, it would still have to come down to if, if they told you, Hey Bob, everything is doing fine, right? I feel fine. My vision seems fine. Then it comes down to you, your responsibility to re review that chart and see, can we push this, this patient based on their severity, based on their, you know, what we've seen historically from them? Can we push them to telehealth or push them away, you know, out another month or so to, to come back in? Is that how you would approach that? I would, but I would assume that any patient who has macular degeneration, um, specifically wet macular degeneration, I would maybe think in terms of dry macular degeneration, if there wasn't any complaint of decreased vision over a time period, glaucoma, ongoing care like that, that patient already has a chief complaint. And they have a chief complaint based on uh, their current morbidity. Okay. And so uh, I think that that patient, if they're due for an examination and they have a sight-threatening disease like glaucoma, uh, they're in a category where they should be seen. Yeah, so so I, I I completely I mean again I agree with you on that, but that that's not um, that is not what people that's not I think the consensus again I hate that term the group think consensus consensus on this was, but I I agree with you I mean how do you know that I mean I, I tell you I had um, through this time I had uh, like four or five patients that like insisted on being seen you know so these patients were complex patients they had macular degeneration. And oh, by the way, they wore scleral lenses because they've also had uh, RK surgery where they, they can't see anything, right, with, with just their normal glasses. So they insisted, you know, that on being seen. Well, I got, I mean, it comes down to what the patient wants, Tad, right? I mean, the patient feels it's important.
it is ultimately my responsibility to the patient to, to figure out why they think that it's so important. But I bring that up because there are four or five of those types of patients where, you know, in, in the confusion of, of understanding what we're supposed to do in all of this, it's like, well, maybe they could go a little longer. They've got stable macular degeneration. They've got all these things have been stable, but you know, they wound up coming in because they felt it was so important. And, and I felt like if they want to come in, I'm going to let them come in. Right. I would you agree with you. Elicit a complaint. Yeah. And, and we wound up finding things that if, if they hadn't come in would have been a big problem. So um, I would agree 100%. I mean, just because we're in the middle of a, a pandemic uh, doesn't mean chronic care stops. Um, we actually, at the end of March, printed out our entire April recall, and the staff and the doctor sat down, and we went over patient by patient by patient, you know, who were critical care. We looked through their chart. This is a potential problem. This can be pushed off. And we would look at either 30, 60, or 90 days of, pushing out their recall in those chronic care. If it's stable glaucoma, maybe their annual diabetic eye exam, the good A1C readings, good blood sugar readings. And we looked at each patient on all of April and all of May's recalls. And I think one of the things optometry can learn from this is the real critical issue as to if an eye exam needs to be done is what the relationship is between the doctor and the patient. Those are the two most important people, not a legislator, not a third-party payer, not a regulatory agency. The real decision if a medical encounter, and that's what an eye exam is, is a medical encounter. If a medical encounter needs to happen, it's an agreement between the doctor and the patient that that needs to occur. So that follows right into, I think it's brilliant that Bob's staff is able to elicit a chief complaint. In our office, we're also kind of triaging the patient Hey, you traveled recently, cough, cold, flu, um, what's your exposure, what's your contact, uh, give us a call from the parking lot, we'll come out and we'll check your temperature, um, we limit the number of people in the optical, only two people in the optical at a time, only one person in the exam room at a time, you know, we just have to keep practicing optometry with the limitations that we're now presented with, but acute care is going to continue. You know, I was the only eye doctor open for probably two counties, it seems like. Hmm. I saw every contact lens red eye through most of April. Um, it just was amazing to me how many contact lens red eyes. They called their doctor's office. Sorry, we can't see you. They finally got around to my office. Of course, I will see you. Come in. This is an acute care emergency situation. So, And a couple of them were, were headed to a bad situation. So if the doctor and the patient agree that this encounter is a necessary encounter, then take the necessary precautions, but see that patient and do your professional responsibility. We all took the optometric oath. The optometric oath is not suspended just because COVID's here. We have to follow through. I couldn't say it better. But, you know, I want to be respectful of your, your guys' time because uh, you've, you've already had a busy day, but... In this postmortem, any other thoughts you've got um, on on uh, this or other related topics um, and, and how we proceed forward as a profession? Bob? Well, uh, you may recall that uh, here in Pennsylvania, we put together a letter to our legislators, uh, both the senators 
and the governor and the members of the House of Representatives. And we really thank them for their leadership and guidance throughout this COVID-19 because we felt that they did a good job and they were there for us. Our doctors were on the front lines the entire time. As devastating as COVID-19 was, Chris and Tad, COVID-19 was sort of a, a, a third objective participant, and it proved that the things that we've been telling our legislators and the healthcare community over the last few decades is absolutely the truth. We were thrust into an, uh, a situation where we had to step up and see these patients in the middle of this pandemic, and we were prepared. And I'm really proud of our profession for stepping up and being prepared to do this. But moving forward, as you said, Chris, I think now that we have proof that that's what our profession does, this is something that we need to move forward and elucidate and perhaps expand upon so that people better understand what optometry does in their communities. Yeah, thanks, Bob. I'll, I'll, I'll echo what uh, Bob said. I think we've got three opportunities uh, in, ahead of us here. Um, one is strengthening that provider-patient, doctor-patient relationship um, and, and uh, educating our doctors and allowing optometrists to step up to that professional responsibility and, and take more control of all healthcare encounters. Um, two, I think it's a great opportunity, as Bob said, to uh, reinforce and educate legislators and the regulatory agencies out there what we really are about. And, and I think that's going to parlay us well into expanding our scope of practice. This is what we've done all the way along. This is what we're going to continue to do. Stop keeping us shackled in archaic thinking and allow us to practice to the level of our education and our level of competency. And then um, three third-party payers. You know, it's uh, far too long we've been defined by a third-party payer that says you're this, that, or the other thing. Um, it's a great opportunity for optometrists to grab the mantle and define who we are and what we do and, and show the rest of the world. So um, I appreciate the opportunity to, to be able to uh, be a participant in this conversation. Mm -hmm.